Welcome to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. This is Brian Kletter, the creator and host of the podcast. You can engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought or at Counterthought CEO and on our Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast. For audio versions of the podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, and more. And for video versions of the podcast, join us on YouTube at the Counterthought channel. Let's go. This week, the CDC released its results of the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, which focused on certain aspects of teen mental health. And the results are alarming. Welcome to Counterthought. So the CDC released its results of the Youth Risk Behavior Survey that it conducted last year. These results are focusing on certain aspects of teen mental health throughout uh, 2021. And episode 29 of this podcast was an episode dedicated to teen mental health. So if you haven't checked that out, it's not on video. It was an audio-only podcast at that time. So go back and give it a listen, uh, episode 29. But this week, the CDC released its results. And the results, as I said in the intro, are alarming. Going back to that episode number 29, those results were based on a Surgeon General's report, and it focused on the effects of teen mental health throughout the first year of the pandemic and in 2020. And nothing has improved since then. That episode came out in December of 2020, and then, I mean, December of 2021, and then fast forward you know, to February of 2023, and these results are coming in from a 2021 survey, the results are getting worse and worse and worse. Teen mental health is getting worse and worse and worse. And I have a few charts from the study to to share with you and the links to the study from the CDC website, the press release, I'll include that in the description of this video and also in the description um, of this episode for the audio version as well. But let's uh, <clears throat> let's first go through the the details of this study, kind of you know, set the playing field, give it the context that that it deserves for for our discussion. So this study, this report focuses on a select set of youth risk behavior survey questions, or YRBS, youth risk behavior survey. A set of questions that represent leading indicators of health and well being for young people and that share a common set of factors that can be enabled through schools to protect young people from these threats. Young people, it's just another term they're using for teen or teenager. Says the CDC's Youth Risk Behavior, the YRBS, the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, reveals that teen girls and teens who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, and questioning LGBTQ+, are experiencing extremely high levels of mental distress, violence, and substance abuse. And also, teen girls are confronting the highest levels of sexual violence, sadness, and hopelessness they have ever reported to a youth risk behavior survey. Now, in this episode, we're going to focus primarily on um, the mental health aspect of suicide and not going to dive into the LGBTQ and or as well as the violence or substance abuse. This is going to be focused primarily on suicide. 
and hopelessness and, and sadness and, and, and the like. So the results. The results show that three in five girls, so 60%, 60% of girls, of teen girls, felt persistently sad and hopeless, which is up nearly 60% from 2011. So over the course of 10 years, an increase of 60% to where now three in five girls feel persistently sad and hopeless. More than one in four girls reportedly considered seriously considered attempting suicide in 2021, which is also up nearly 60% from 2011. And then more than one in 10 girls, as you can see here, reported they attempted suicide in 2021, which is up 30% from a decade ago in 2011. So when it comes to persistent sadness and hopelessness after a depressive symptom, we see a 60% increase over a decade. When it comes to um, girls seriously considering, considering attempting suicide, we see a 60% increase over the last decade. And then when it comes to attempting suicide, which is awful, we see a 30% increase over the course of a decade. And as a side note, alcohol use is also higher among girls than boys. So that begs the question, what is causing this? What is causing this 60% and 30% spike in sadness, contemplations of suicide, and attempting suicide in teenagers, and specifically teenage girls? You saw in the charts there that the, the boys are also tracked. They're lower in every single one of those three um, data points, those three categories. Boys are lower, girls are higher. So what is causing this? That's the primary question. What is causing it? Once we can identify what is causing it, then we can identify or better identify how to improve it, how to help these girls, help these boys, help these teenagers improve their mental health. I mean, they are the future of our country. We need them not only because we we love them. You know, many of these, these kids all have parents. You know, they all have friends, or I hope they all have friends. They all have those who love and care for them. But there seems to be something going on that is, um, I guess, moving aside that feeling and, and knowingness of being loved. And instead, something else is being injected into their into their mind, and they're not handling it well. And it's leading to this persistent state of sadness or contemplation or attempt or attempting of suicide. So one of the first things that comes along, as I mentioned, you know, this is um, this the study was tying into schools, and I'll get into a little bit of that later. But bullying, bullying has to go on the list of what a contributing factor to this sixty percent, thirty percent increase over the last decade. Kids are at school six to eight hours a day. Teenagers, you know, that's going to be starting in I think seventh grade, going through through 12th grade. So, you know, that six year, six year span of school. We know that middle school bullying can be rough. High school bullying can be rough. And kids are at school six to eight hours per day. And back in the day, and not trying to sound like a boomer or anything, one, because I'm not, but two, I mean, it's just, this is just facts. 
social, not social media, but bullying occurred, really only occurred at school. Bully really only occurred at school. However, and this is a running theory out here regarding this, this data, the results of this survey and other surveys like it. Once social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, TikTok is joined, but you know, it's later, but primarily Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter going back to about 2012, you know, within this past decade of, for this data that what it's referencing, social media was like full go, you know, Facebook came out in, I think about 2003, Twitter was somewhere around, I think 2007, 2008. Instagram, I want to say, was closer to maybe 2010. So all of them have been around for more than a decade. And a theory out there is, okay, well, maybe it is the existence of these social media platforms that is contributing heavily to this drastic increase, this alarming increase in teenage mental health. You know, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, you know, that started... <laughs> In the late 90s, the early 2000s, and Facebook was the only social media platform of those three that came into existence when I was still a teenager. So when bullying happened, if it did happen to you, it occurred at school. Maybe there's like a mean kid in the parking lot or something like that, or maybe on your sports team, but that was probably less likely to happen because you have a coach right there to prevent it. You know, you'd like to think that you know your neighbors and your parents would know your neighbors and, and all of that. So school bullying was probably one of the main factors because there was not social media. However, bullying does occur on social media. So bullying is not just a six to eight hour span of time while you're at school. Bullying now can stretch 24 hours a day. You can be bullied when you wake up in the morning and check your uh, social media accounts. You could be bullied at school. You could be bullied when you get home from school. You could be bullied in your bedroom before you're going to bed when you're sitting there doing homework and you're getting distracted by your social media accounts. You be, could be getting bullied then. So it is gone from maybe six to eight hours in, the, in your day, maybe a quarter to a third of your day, to now a full day, 24-7. And that ties into a Senate hearing that occurred earlier this week. There was a Senate hearing that took place. The Senate is proposing this bipartisan bill. And this bill is focusing on holding social media companies accountable for their part in negatively impacting teen mental health. We've heard a lot going over the past few years about Section 230 and companies needing to be held liable, not necessarily as it relates to teen mental health, but as it relates to um, censorship of speech and, and all of that. But this bill focuses on holding social media companies accountable for what they are doing and what they are not doing. And it's and the cause and the results of those actions or inactions on teen mental health. One of the proposals in that bill is to increase the age in which you can join a social media platform from 13 to 16. And the thought there is that, okay, well, those three years will give three years more of development, mental development, emotional development for these kids so they can better understand and process and everything, have the, um, the ability to better understand their emotions compared at 16 compared to, to 13. 
Now, I'm sure there are ways to get around that. I mean, you could you could lie about your age, and I'm sure there's probably just the box you have to check that says, hey, you're certifying this information is true and and all of that. But that's one of the proposals to go from 13 being the minimum age to, to 16. 16, again, though, your, your mind isn't even fully developed, right? I think it's 25 or 26 years old is what the science says. Your brain is not fully developed until 25 or 26 years old. It is very impressionable and its ability to, um, to decipher through logic and reason and use those as tools to be able to make decisions isn't fully developed until about 25, 26 years old. So maybe those three years will help. Those three extra years will help in the development of your mind. The bill also says that removing and eliminating groups and videos that target eating disorders, bullying, and pedophilia from the social media accounts holding these companies accountable, removing and eliminating these groups, right? There, These groups do exist on these platforms related to eating disorders, bullying, and pedophilia. TikTok right now is in hot water, or I guess is maybe one of the more popular <clears throat> popular platforms when it comes to things like this. Hop on if you've expressed any type of interest in maybe how to deal with the eating disorder. There are accusations that then videos will start popping up on your FYP, your For You page of people talking about eating disorders, but not necessarily you know how to overcome them, but pushing you know, someone pushing people in videos who, you know, are super fitness models. And then you start thinking, oh, that starts feeding your mind of like, man, I'm, you know, maybe I'm not as fit as I need to be. Maybe I need to be, to be skinnier. And I believe one of the women who spoke at this Senate hearing during this week has a story like that to where she was, you know, seeking attention and gratification from others. And she started this fitness routine and she just kept exercising and exercising, exercising and became anorexic. And, you know, that's an eating disorder. And because she kept seeing and hearing the comments from people, but also seeing videos of other people who are like, you know, more in shape than she was. So she kept chasing, like, I got to be the most in shape because if I'm not the most in shape, then people aren't going to, um, to give me praise. They're going to keep, uh, hurling these attacks at me saying that, oh, you could be skinnier you know, you could be more, you could have more definition. You look so fat today, you know, things like that. Another form of bullying. And also this bill is identifying content produced by minors before being viewed. That's one of the things I believe also in this bill that was mentioned during the hearing. They want to have social media companies hold them accountable and make sure that they are identifying content that is produced by minors before the content is viewed by others on the platform. These platforms we're talking about have billions of users per month, billions per month, and be able to scroll through and have a 13, 14, 15, 16, you know, a teenager pop up on your, on your timeline that goes towards the pedophilia, also cuts to the bullying, you know, any inappropriate for you to see. Basically, I think what they're trying to maybe accomplish there would be, um, silo off anything produced by a teenager from being viewed by anybody who is not a teenager. And then the question along with that bipartisan bill asks, should there be a removal of section 230? Should lawsuits be able to be brought against these companies? I mean, they are being brought, but are they going to be, to be successful? How much responsibility do these social media companies have when it comes to, um, 
monitoring the behavior on the platform. Section 230, going back when that became about in the late 90s, was about basically saying in a um, distilled version of, okay, you are just a platform, someone who posts something on there, if it is, you know, goes against what you stand for, you are not held liable for what someone else says on your platform because you are just a platform. You are allowing someone to use your your service, but you yourself, your service are not the ones being the one who is saying this information. You are not editorializing or anything like that. What we've seen over the past few years that that has changed a lot. That's not necessarily the case. So should Section 230, should that be removed? Should these social media platforms not, not get that, that treatment? Another thing that could be causing this, this spike in um, the 60% spike, right, about persistent sadness, the 60% spike in contemplating suicide, and the 30% spike in actually attempting suicide among teen girls, all, all in the past decade, all with these social media platforms being uh, fully mature in their existence, we have bullying 24-7 now. We have the bipartisan bill, like maybe... Um, certain changes need to be made, rules and laws need to be put in place to um, to tighten up the social media companies and make them more accountable. And then also certain aspects of, of social reconstruction has gone on. I did an episode, I think it was episode four, episode four, I believe, about the nuclear family. Now the nuclear family is not, um, isn't perfect, you know, I talked about in the episode how, you know, I came from a family where my parents got divorced. I think I was in about uh, third or fourth grade, you know, so about eight or nine years old. I was fortunate to have both of my parents, you know, still be highly involved in my life and everything else, which I know most children do not get that whenever their parents go through, through a divorce. But there are statistics that show of how wonderful a nuclear family can be, you know, husband, wife the kids all living in the same household. How great that can be not only in school, but also when it comes to staying out of trouble, when it comes to having uh, issues like this with mental health. But again, it's not perfect, but there has been an attack on the nuclear family and how that's not necessary, how you can be a single parent and make it, you can be a single mom and make it, that you should be prideful and happy about being a single mom because you don't need a man to make it. Also, religion. Religion is under attack. If you say that you are religious, you practice a religion, whether it's Christianity, um, Islam, uh, Judaism, Buddhism, anything like that, especially Christianity, you might get a little bit of a side eye. A side eye, like what? Like, why do you subject yourself to to that? Why would you want to have any type of of um, rules or boundaries for your life like why why would you why would you want to have anything to do with a religion and being uh, beholden to that but if you lose religion you know you lose take that away that could keep you or not keep you but if you lose religion for a lot of people is a way especially for teens a way to um, have guardrails and be comforted. You know, like you may not understand everything that's going on, but you have faith and belief in your God that things are going to be to be okay. And it gives you structure. 
And if you are practicing a religion, you might also be going to their services, you know, whether it's at a synagogue or a temple or a church. And there are other individuals there, like-minded individuals who share the same faith as you. And then, then you build that sense of community through religion. Then there's this transgender phenomenon. I mentioned off the top, this study also not only looked at, you know, just, just teens, but specifically LGBTQ teens. Well, LGBTQ teens are going through a severe state of confusion, right? And when you're confused, you're having trouble processing information. When you have trouble processing information, you might be, um, the information that you are processing might not be, might not be processed correctly in the right way. And then you're bringing it upon yourself. If you are getting teased or bullied about being, you know, lesbian or bisexual or gay or homosexual or considering, um, you know, like transgender surgeries and, and all of that, all those things you can be, um, bring on even more potential bullying. And there are results of those statistics in this, in this data, right? So not only is your mind already confused, but then you're bringing on, adding on top of it, additional bullying, teasing, increasing this confusion. And then you might just reach a breaking point or you're just sad. Be like, no one understands me. No one understands me. I'm, I'm in this minority. This is, you know, I was, I was born this way, but I feel this way. You know, it says that, you know, you're supposed to, that, um, a man is supposed to like a woman, a woman is supposed to like a man, but I don't, I don't feel that way. Or I'm supposed to be a man, a boy, but I want to be a woman or a girl. And it just like on your shoulders, just pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing down on you. And as this phenomenon continues to grow with, you know, with exponentially with people who are now identifying this way, this like social phenomenon of change, transgenderism and the LGBTQ movement, it's a huge weight on these kids' shoulders. And again, most of them are not equipped to deal with it, especially if they're lacking some of these other social structures that can give them an outlet to talk to individuals and, and everything, whether it's at school or at home or at church, you know, wherever. They don't have that. It's just continuing to build and build and press down upon these kids. And it could ultimately be causing them to attempt suicide. There's also this victimhood mentality that you get praised for being a victim. You know, there is more, there's like accolades and praise um, given to someone who is seen as a victim of, a, of an injustice than there is on, you know, not being a victim. And victimhood brings negativity. I did an episode on victimhood. Go back and, and look it up. I don't remember the number right off the top of my head, but it was sometime within this past year. Victimhood brings negativity. And if you are constantly keeping yourself in this state of, of negativity, that again is going to weigh down on your mind. And then the woke agenda, which encompasses some of these things I've already mentioned, but also the cancellation of free speech. You might have, you might be someone, you might be a teenager who has a conservative view, you know, maybe a libertarian view. And everything you are hearing at school is the popular thing to be to be woke, to be a progressive liberal, to be way out there on the left, on the edge, falling off the, off the ledge, basically. And you don't feel like you can speak up because then you're going to be ridiculed and mocked and teased and, and everything. 
bullied because of it. So you might internalize things and then you feel like you don't have a sense of community. You don't have anywhere you can belong. There might not be groups for you to, to reach out to and talk to in your local community. So then you go to social media and then you, again, you're on these platforms and sure you can seek out groups like on Facebook or come or meet like-minded people like I did on, on Instagram when I launched this podcast. But again, you're also on the platform and when you're on the platform, you are not just, you know, in, in a bubble, these other influencing factors and things can still reach you while you're on the platform. So you might just have things bottled up inside of you and think that you have nowhere to belong because maybe your viewpoints are in, in the minority. And then parenting. Parenting, again, the, the nuclear family is, is falling apart. Single motherhood is way up. Foster care, you know, the just parenthood in general, parents being busy, both parents now working. Well, they've been working for a long time, right? But, you know, going back decades or, or generations, it used to be, you know, a mother at the home and the father was working. And then our entire country was restructured to where now both husband, both mom and dad are working. And so then you have a kid who's staying at school or they're coming home from school. And then there's no one there, no one there for them to talk to until maybe dinner time. So it's less time with, with the kids or maybe the parents are putting lots of pressure onto their kids to be successful, to have, live a better life than what they lived growing up, to have more opportunities than what they lived growing up. And then that is, could be um, perceived as pressure upon these teenagers that they can do no wrong or they, you know, they need to be studying more. They need to be getting better grades. And then again, this is all just pressure pushing down upon the shoulders, the minds of these kids. So how do we help them? That's the second question, right? The first question is what is causing this? The second question is then how do we help these teens? How do we help these teens? Again, three in 10 girls, if I have my statistics correct, one in 10 girls reported that they attempted suicide in 2021. 25% reported that they seriously considered attempting suicide in 2021. So how do we help them? Well, again, this study was focused on the tie-in to schools. So more money for school resources. That could be one way, or that probably is one of the ways. There is not just one solution. I was listening to the Clay Travis Buck Sexton Show podcast yesterday, and uh, Clay Travis was talking about he had parents call in and asking, you know, like, give me your feedback if you're a parent of a teenager. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? And one of the callers who called in was, you know, um, basically like there is no single solution. It is going to be a multitude of solutions all working together to improve this issue, to bring these numbers down. So money for school resources. That's again, what the CDC and on their, in their press announcement, their um, press briefing, they had the, the vice president or the president of the national PTA association, they advocated for more money for schools, for more resources. And more than 95% of the children and adolescents in the U S spend again, about 25 to 33%, six to eight hours per day at school. And if they're getting any kind of night sleep, <laughs> then they're spending, you know, that th like half of their awake time to a third of their awake time at school. 
The CDC also in their press release listed three key strategies. Number one was increasing the sense among all students that they are cared for, supported, and belong at school. I agree. Number two key strategy listed by the CDC was increasing access to needed health services, including mental health and substance use prevention services. Yes. Number three, implement quality health education that is medically accurate, developmentally appropriate, culturally and LGBTQ plus inclusive, which to me kind of goes against a little bit of the medically accurate and developmentally appropriate aspect of it, but it also has to be grounded in science. Those are the three key strategies listed by the CDC in their, in their press release of how to help these teens. And then the measures of the Senate bipartisan bill that I touched on earlier. There was the hearing this week, you know, holding social media companies accountable, removing content that should not be on there, removing it faster, not even allowing the content to be posted in the first place. Changing the age from when you can join social media platforms from 13 to 16, possibly remove Section 230 altogether and lawsuits being brought against these companies when they're not doing enough. And then parental involvement becoming, I know we're all busy. I'm a parent. I'm a parent, not of teenagers yet, but I'm still a parent. Life is busy. Work keeps you busy. You want to try to have a hobby that's going to keep you busy. You have to take care of the kids and do everything in life just to, you know, live life, you know, food and try to play with each other for a little bit before, you know, doing the bedtime routine, especially if you have young kids. But we as parents, we, we owe it to our children to make a concerted effort to be intentional in how we spend our time with our kids and making sure we can spend as much time as possible with our kids to build that community, to have open conversation, not to be like, oh, well, I can't talk about that with my mom or dad because I'll get in trouble. You know, I can't talk to them about that. There's, there's no way they can relate to me. Again, I have not gone through this as a parent because my children are too young, but I would like to be able to have that conver those conversations, that connection with my children so that they feel like they can come to me. And, you know, the judgment is the judgment free zone is a, a safe space for them to, to voice whatever it is that is on their mind, whatever questions that they have. So parents, we need to be there for our kids. And then religion, we need more and more people, more and more teenagers actively participating in the community that goes along with whichever religion they are, are practicing. You know, I'm an advocate, right? I want everyone to be a Christian, right? Because I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. The likelihood of that happening here in my lifetime, you know, very small, but that, just because I want everybody to become a Christian does not mean that there are not good things with the other religions that are, that are out there and that people practice. We need more kids involved in those communities. We need more kids involved in the communities and having the structure that the religions provide, having rules and boundaries and guidance and wisdom. And then we also need to, or we also need to make sure these kids are, um, are more about self-identity, caring for their self-identity than validation. Some of the stories you hear, um, those testifying at the um, Senate committee hearing, 
And then also others that I've seen on certain clips by news outlets since the study was released earlier this week. Our story is primarily girls because, again, the, <clears throat> the numbers ticked up the highest for girls and are the highest for teenage girls. But you hear these stories about the way they went down this path and just spiraled out of control was because they were seeking validation. Not only validation from their friends, but also validation from people they don't know. Again, going back to this, this older generation mentality, I'm uh, Gen Y, I'm a millennial, then you go Gen X and baby boomers before that. Social media was not, did not exist during the teenage years. And if it did, it was one platform, it was Facebook. And even Facebook then was in its infancy. So when you were growing up, you didn't have, you know, you didn't have millions upon millions of people seeing, potentially seeing your content and then wanting to voice their opinion. Any kind of validation you have would be from maybe your small friends group if you were seeking any type of validation. But now you have people weighing in who've never met you, never, never um, talked to you. They're hiding behind the veil, the curtain, you know, the safety net that is, or the, yeah, the safe space of being behind the computer screen, being behind the screen. And they can say whatever they want because what are you going to do? Social media is vicious in that way. People are much more, um, not proud, um, but they are much more, they're much more willing to share and say whatever it is that they, that is on their mind that they want to share with you, say to you because they are protected because they are behind the screen and they're never going to have an actual interaction with you and you can't do really anything, anything to them. Right? So we need to make sure these children, teenagers are putting their identity in themselves and getting their validation from those who love them and not seeking validation from those who do not know them. And this is a crisis, right? The, the numbers are, are staggering. They're alarming. They have continued to tick up. I'll show you one more time the, the charts here. Look on the screen. Every single chart is going, ticking up to the right, you know, increasing. Whether it's attempting suicide, whether it's contemplating suicide, whether it is persistent states of, of sadness and hopelessness, all up and to the right, all increasing whether you are male or female, whether you're a teenage boy or a teenage girl. And the girls is way higher, almost double in some cases, or most cases, than, than the boys. So we, as a community, that saying it takes a village to raise a child, I do believe that. You have your village at home with the parents, with the siblings. You have your village at school which are your classmates and your teachers. There is not just one single solution to fix this mental health crisis for teenagers. It's going to take a multitude of things working together in order to improve the mental health of our children. We need to help these children the best that we can because not only are they the future of our country, but also because we love them. Thank you for listening to Counterthought, a podcast conserving America's freedom, culture, and values. Remember to subscribe and like or rate the podcast on your podcast app or on YouTube and engage with the podcast on Instagram at counter underscore thought at counterthought CEO or on Facebook at counterthought podcast.